at the new pulpit. You will likely be out of here before 12. I hope you are paying attention to the reading of the scripture this morning uh, because it tells how God is involved in the details of our lives. And what I'd like to do this morning is use the life of Joseph to show how God was involved in the life of an individual. I'll be jumping around in the story of Joseph, but I think we'll uh, get it all together. What I like about the Bible stories about people, it tells us the story of an individual for his whole life. In fact, for generations before and generations after even, warts and all. Uh, There were some mistakes that uh, the brothers made, etc., but they're all in there too. They're not omitted. And so we can start with generations before Joseph. Of course, Abram had son Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah. And the two of them had twins. And one of them was uh, Jacob and the other was Esau. Didn't take long and those two lives didn't go together too well. Esau was a guy who was out in the field and he loved to be, uh, he turned out to be a very good hunter. While Joseph was a quiet man around the tents. And to complicate things, his father loved uh, Esau. Uh, sorry, I'll, uh, I'm jumping ahead of his. I shouldn't use that term. Uh, Esau was loved by his father, and Jacob was loved by his mother. And when, uh, through some circumstances that uh, uh, Jacob figured out, uh, he uh, talked his brother out of his birthright. And when his brother finally came to uh, realize that this had taken place, he was so angry, he was going to kill his brother. And Rebecca, Mother Rebecca, realized this was uh, going to take place, so she sends uh, her son way off to see her brother Laban. And uh, after he comes to the country where Laban is uh, farming, shepherding his sheep, uh, he meets up with, uh, he finds out that Laban's doing quite well, and uh, he also finds out that, uh, well, here's a cute love story. That uh, when the shepherds came to water their sheep, uh, they had a big stone on the well, and when they had enough manpower to take the stone away, uh, then they'd water their sheep, and then uh, the uh, girls could water their sheep. Well, when uh, Isaac shows up, he uh, sees Rebecca coming because she was a shepherdess. And it says he removed the stone from the well. Uh, read what you want into that. But here's the love story. I'll read it. You see, the, the story of Joseph depends how far you want to go to either side of the story. It covers about the last 20 chapters in the book of Genesis. It's a very good story. Uh, makes sense If you can sit down sometime, instead of picking up another book, read the last 20 chapters of Genesis and you'll have the whole story of Joseph. So uh, Father Jacob now uh, removes the stone from the well, and this is what we read. He was talking with them, and while he was still, still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep out loud. Talk about love at first sight. Of course, 
he was invited to come home to Laban's place, and uh, uh, he started helping around the yard, etc., and with the flocks. And Laban finally says, "Well, listen, uh, I know you're my relative, but uh, that doesn't mean you have to work for nothing." What would you like for wages? Well, he'd had a month to think about it, and he had his mind already made up. And uh, he says, uh, well, let's read it, Genesis twenty-nine sixteen. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And then we read, So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now Joseph was born out of this love relationship of uh, his two parents. We can't take time to go through all the things that uh, went on in the household, but to suffice it to say that over the years, 11 other sons were born, and there was a a family of 12. Now Joseph grows up, and of course, he is the beloved son of his father. His father, of course, shows his special love for this son by making him a fancy coat, and uh, the other 11 aren't that pleased. In fact, at 17, he was sent to see how his brothers were doing, and needless to say, this didn't sit too well with them. They hated him to the point that they couldn't even speak a kind word to him. And then Joseph had a dream, which he told his brothers. And when when they heard it, they hated him even more. Uh, The dream, of course, was that there were uh, bundles standing up, and the 11 bundles were leaning to the one in the middle, namely his. And uh, his brother said, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? So they hated him all the more. Then he had another dream in which there were 11 stars and the moon and the sun bowing down to him. And his brothers were jealous. But his father rebuked him but kept this in mind. And the brothers were taking care of their flocks. Now Joseph arrives to to see them. And uh, when they see him coming... They plot to kill him. Reuben, the oldest, doesn't like the plan, so he persuades them to put Joseph into a cistern, a pit in the desert, in the hope that he can free him later on. But things happen rather suddenly. As the boys are having their meal, this caravan is coming by going to Egypt. Judah comes up with the idea of selling him to the traders. So they take his fancy coat, dip it in goat's blood, take it home to his father, to their father, and uh, ask him if he could identify it. Well, that just about did their father in. His beloved son, as far as he's concerned, is dead. But the story continues. Joseph then gets a job. Uh, he is purchased by the head of the guard of the king, Potiphar. He gets a job in his house. And it uh, didn't take long, and he was doing rather well. He was dependable, and God blessed the household because of Joseph. A little problem develops. Potiphar's wife takes note of this Hebrew slave, 
and uh, she tries to get to seduce him. And uh, Joseph will have none of it. So one day she grabs him by the coat and says, come sleep with me. And he slips out of his coat and runs out of the house. Well, when husband Potiphar comes home, she says, you know that Hebrew slave? He tried to seduce me, but I, uh, but I screamed and he ran out of the house, but I managed to get his coat. Here's the evidence. And so, without any further ado, Joseph is thrown into the king's prison. But the Lord was with Joseph in the king's prison. And it didn't take long before he was in charge of everything in the prison. I marvel at the ingenuity of God. In Psalm 139, we, sh- we read how he's in every detail of our lives. I cannot start to imagine how God could do that for every human being in the world. The Bible says God so loved the world, not just me, but every one of you, every one of Killarney, every one of Canada, every one of the world, and how he can be so involved in every detail of our lives. Oh, God was with Joseph in the jail. Two of the uh, fellow prisoners have troubling dreams, and they don't know what to do because there's nobody to interpret them. And again, cutting through the story quickly, Joseph interprets the one dream to the butler saying, you will be in the king's presence. In uh, what is it, two days or something like that. And this takes place. And uh, life is going on for another two years. And then the king has a troubling dream. And the cupbearer suddenly remembers, there was this guy in prison I had a dream, and he interpreted it perfectly. Well, get that man. Joseph has to uh, suddenly come to the king's presence. He hardly has time to shave and get proper clothes on. He's whipped into the king's presence. And so when he shows up, uh, the king uh, tells uh, Joseph the dream. And uh, what's Joseph's reply? He says, I can't do it. I can't interpret dreams. That seems to be a bit of a letdown, but God can do that. And now the story zeroes in. Well, I should uh, finish that one first of all. As a result, of course, the king sees that God is with this man and uh, whipped through a lot of the story. He becomes second to the king in the country of, of Egypt. Now the story zeroes in to Joseph's brothers again. They're starving, and they go for food from the stores of Egypt. Joseph spots them immediately, puts them through several tests, making them face up to their past, and uh, remembers his dreams, and eventually Pharaoh invites the whole family to come to live in Goshen, the best part of Egypt. Life again goes on for a while. And after years have passed in Egypt, father dies. And now the brothers are scared. Will Joseph take revenge now that dad is gone and he's in absolute power over them? Well, the story has a happy ending. Joseph forgives them completely and requests that when they will go back to Canaan, they will not leave his bones in Egypt but will take them back to bury them in Canaan.
Really, this is an act of faith because they were well established now in Egypt, but he still looks forward. There will be a time where we're going to leave this country. Now, that was Joseph. We're living in the 21st century. What can we learn from him? It's amazing that although we are separated by thousands of years, we still face the same problems. How do we face our problems? Give your life to God and your problems will be over. That's a devil's lie. The devil has a way of lying with a little bit of truth. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? Started off saying, has God really said? And then he goes on to say, you will not surely die. Well, there was part of truth in it. And that's the way the devil works. And uh, the real truth is, Give your life to God, and he will help you in your problems. That's just a little different. Well, Joseph believed in God. We know he did. There's no doubt that he had problems. And he took no credit for himself, but always gave God credit for what he did and said. Did he have problems with his brothers? Yes. Did he have problems when his brothers threw him in the pit? Yes. Do you think he felt lonesome as a young man away from a loving family, his loving father, and strange land with strange customs? No doubt about that. Did he have problems with Potiphar's wife who wrongfully accused him and sent him to jail? Yes. Did God protect Joseph from having problems? No. Did God help Joseph in his problems? Yes, yes. Of course he did. When he got to Egypt, we read, the Lord was with Joseph. And then we read that Potiphar, his first master, saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. As soon as he was in charge of the whole household, we read, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And when he was confronted by Potiphar's wife, Joseph said, how, could, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He went to jail. And we read, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. In jail we read, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. And when the two men in jail were troubled because of their dreams, Joseph saw that they were dejected because there was no one to interpret the dreams. Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God? He then interprets the dreams accurately. And finally, the great Pharaoh has a dream. The cupbearer remembers, oh my goodness, there was this fellow in jail who interpreted my dreams. I forgot completely about him, but he was dead on. Things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to be. So he comes to Pharaoh, and he hears the dream, and what does he say? I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And after he hears the dream, he says, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. 
So exciting to see God moving right on in Joseph's life. Pharaoh knew a good thing when he saw it and overlooking the fact that Egyptians don't like the Hebrews and especially despise shepherds. Uh, They're detestable to them. He saw a good thing here in this Hebrew slave and he says, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the spirit of God? Now things are going great for Joseph. He marries a priest's daughter and has a son, calls the first one Manasseh because he said, it's because God made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. Another son is born and he calls him Ephraim and he says, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The brothers come to recognize Joseph and are reconciled and again Joseph's attitude seems to come through when he says, So then it was not you, but God. I'll come back to that later. After the great move to Egypt has taken place and the family has settled in the best part of Egypt, the father Jacob has come to the end of his life and he calls his son Joseph and says to him, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And then he promises a peace a choice piece of land in Canaan to Joseph. Did these men believe in God or what? Let's go on. Jacob dies and is buried and he requested that his brothers get and his brothers get to thinking. Deception has been part of this family for a long time. Grandmother Rebecca helped dad get a blessing from Grandpa Isaac. Grandpa Laban changed dad's wages ten times while we were growing up. He even switched the bride on the wedding night. He pulled a bad one on dad when we got him to believe that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast. And now Joseph is in power over all of us and dad isn't around anymore. Well, let's read the wonderful passage from Genesis chapter 50, starting verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brother's sins and wrongs they have committed in treating you badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God your father. When And when their message comes to Joseph, he weeps. And we read, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, and to me this is the the height of the whole story, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what he is now what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Wow, that's the story of Joseph. Well, I've just been reading the book uh, On Heaven by Randy Alcorn, and he says when we die, those who have died, the cloud of witnesses, are still looking at us. And if that's the case, I can just see Joseph wagging his finger at me and saying, Wrong, Reuben. 
That's not the story of Joseph. That's the story of God moving on through history and how he used one man who was meek and humble and wise enough to let God use him. Joseph might well say, I started off as a bit of a hotshot kid, beloved by my father, but God used me to accomplish his will at this one point in history. And by the way, Reuben, he didn't quit when I died. God is still working today. There are many things here that uh, we could learn from, but I want to concentrate on only a few. Like Joseph, we can get quite involved with the things at hand, but we must maintain our focus on God. The challenge we face is to see the world as the world sees it. This is it. This is everything. Yes, it's nice to have a little bit of God as a fire insurance policy if we die, but uh, this is the whole world. God doesn't see the world that way at all. God sees this world as a temporary place, as something that will pass away. Even though it is temporary, he has a definite plan for us and for the entire world. Nothing is outside his plan. We all know that if we leave this world, and we all will, I think I'm not a prophet. If I say in 110 years, likely not one of you is going to be alive. Uh, not one of us is going to be alive. <laughs> Anyhow, even though it's temporary, God is working in our lives. And God will finish what he started to do. Each of us is a small part in his big picture. We, like Joseph, must be faithful in the things God places in our way and leave the big plan up to God. Did Joseph have a clue that these dreams were from God and they were God's plan to save the lives of his entire family? When he was in the pit where his brothers had thrown him, was he singing praises to God because this was part of God's plan? When Potiphar's wife wrongfully accused him, did he say, thank you, God, I'm glad to be part of your great plan to save my family? When he was concerned about the two troubled men in jail, did he know this would lead to his promotion? And the answer is obvious. No, no, no. He didn't realize this. All he knew was that he trusted God in the situation that he was in and that he had to be faithful to God and didn't even think of taking the least bit of credit for himself. We all face problems and challenges. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed and we pray and pray and nothing seems to happen. Does God hear our prayers when we have prayed for years for a change in the direction in people's lives and nothing happens? Would Joseph have prayed in the pit? Would he have prayed when he was sold as a slave? Would he have prayed when he was sent to prison? It just seems things went from bad to worse in his life. If we want answers, our way of hearing from God is through his word. God says, if you want to hear from me, get into the word. I pick up the word and it says, trust me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I say, fine, thanks. I prayed and what's happening? I need your help. The word says, God so loved the world. That means God says, I love you. The word says, uh, 
I look after the sparrows, a rather useless, try again. The word says, I look after the sparrows, a rather worthless bird. Do you think I've forgotten you? I say, yes, Lord, but what about my prayer? I'm getting a bit anxious down here. And he says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I say, my prayer. Wait a minute, I just thought I heard you say, did I hear you say, peace comes when my mind is fixed on you? Did Joseph know that when he was in trouble? Maybe I have to get a, a real grasp on who God really is. God is love. The essence, the core of his being is love. That means God really loves me. And as his child, I want to be faithful like Joseph and follow God's greatest commandment. Love the God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Maybe we can keep in mind our mind on God a bit longer and remember that he is holy and cannot overlook the smallest sin. Oops, that's a big one. I've slipped in a few areas. I've not controlled my thoughts. Sometimes I've let myself concentrate on negative things about my brothers and sisters, even in the family of God. I've excused myself for doing that. The word says, confess, and I'll forgive you. I confess, Lord, but what now? The word says, search me, O God, as we read this morning. Turn on that spotlight, that searchlight that's brighter than a thousand halogen lights. And what do I find in my life? A lot of dust and some things I've excused uh, for myself. Things that should be moved out because I see your brightness shows them as displeasing to you. Help me get rid of them, Lord. Forgive me for even thinking they are harmless. And the list goes on. And after a while, we feel light and good and clean and warm and wonderful because of what God is doing in our lives. We say, Lord, I just love you for what you keep doing for me. But what about my prayer requests? The word says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Keep your mind on God, not your problems and your requests or anything else that's bothering you, and he'll give you peace. Don't you think Joseph had troubling thoughts when he sat in the pit, or in the king's dungeon? Did he waste time complaining and making a nuisance of himself? He must have been at peace with God in order to look at his circumstances and deal with them as, as he did. You think the warden would have put him in his position that he got if he would have always been complaining every day that, after all, there's no reason why I should be here. I didn't even have a fair trial. This man, Joseph, was at peace with God and God found it easy to fulfill his plan by using him. And when we start seeing the world as God sees it, we learn to live in peace, wisdom, and lasting values. Peace to think clearly and to search for God's will. Wisdom to deal honestly, justly, and compassionately in uh, growing closer to God. When we get a vision of the world the way God sees it, then we are in the place to think and act the way God wants us to act. We may want to do it our own way, but God steps into our lives and helps us to see things His way.
his way. May God help us to learn from this man, Joseph. The lesson is for us to be faithful in the day-to-day events that come our way, and God will be able to fit us into his big plan. Someday we'll be able to say, I would have messed up bad, but God took what I had and used it in his big plan. May he help us to follow him closely.